For those who have uh, been with us, you know that we are in a series uh, out of 1 Peter called A Holy Calling in Hostile Times. And so we've been, uh, we started last week and we will continue this series for a little while. This is a time that Peter is writing to the church, especially to the church in Asia, around where is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to several churches there, and this is a letter that's going to go circularly through all of these churches, and they're going to, to get the letter and have it in hand and be able to read and, and, and pray through it and, 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 and live out the, the words of the apostles, and then they'll pass it on, they'll pass it on, and they'll, then they'll get, it, get it again. And so these are good words for the church in Asia. And this is a time, for those who weren't with us, that the church is feeling the pressure of persecution. And there will be just a couple more years until uh, Rome is burned at the hands of Nero. And Peter, the author of this letter, will die in that persecution. So things are getting really uh, hot and heavy uh, in the in the, the kingdom of Rome. And so that's when Paul is writing this letter, and he's writing a, a letter to people who are in hostile times. And he's calling them out to a different kind of living. In 2017, at the Super Bowl, it was the Pats and the Falcons. Some of you remember that game. You may have stopped watching it at halftime because the score at halftime, or right before halftime, was 28 to 3. The Falcons were were trashing the Patriots, which some people say amen to, but they were, they were killing the Patriots, the, 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 the vaulted Patriots with Tom Brady as a quarterback, and, and it looked like it was such a miserable game that nobody wanted to watch it anymore. You walked out. Well, you shouldn't have, because in the second half, the Patriots came back and won the thing. Booze, right, yeah. So when you look at that final score and you see what was happening in the second quarter, you kind of go, I wonder what happened at halftime. I wonder what Bill Belichick told those guys that could somehow stir these guys who were totally defeated and stir them to something much greater, the greatest victory we've ever seen in a Super Bowl, the greatest comeback we've ever seen in a Super Bowl. What did he say? Well, I don't know what he said. But I do know this, that as Peter's writing the church, it, is, it looks like the church is down and out. They were hoping that Jesus would return at any moment, and he has not returned yet. They were hoping that they would be the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God would overcome the rest of the world. But it didn't look like that was happening. It looked like the world was overcoming the church, and so there were heavy hearts and despondency, and there's wondering, is this the way? And this is the halftime speech that Peter gives to the church and said, hold on. Hold on, because there is a living hope, we learn in chapter 1. There is a living hope that is in Jesus Christ, a hope that our God is going to return, and we will have victory. We will have victory greater than anything the world has ever seen before, because we have a living hope. So he says, hold on. I know things are looking kind of cloudy, but the glory of the Lord will shine through. So last week, we were encouraged to look into the, the crib. Remember that? To look into the crib, the thing that is undefiled, that was unshaken, it couldn't be taken away from you, the promises of God that are there for you waiting. Look into it and remember the living hope. Focus on the living hope. And so, <laughs> I had a 
over there. Thank you. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, as we continue, starting in verse 13, we see that now we're going to transition from the attitude of your heart to the, the conduct that you should have. I'll begin in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, be you holy, for I am holy. We, we become uh, good Bible readers, and we see in verse 13 it starts out with, therefore. And we always ask, therefore, what is the therefore? And so this is this halftime talk. This is, okay, since this is true, then this is how we should live our, live our lives. So he encouraged them, the first thing you need to do is set your hope fully on the grace, set your help. Your, your hopes fully on God's good gifts. Have squarely in your mind God's gifts, those that you did not earn. Namely, know that just as Jesus has provided in the past through his deaths and resurrection, he will, he will provide again at his second coming. And it will be brought to you. And this bringing to you will usher in a different kind of age. It will usher in an age in which you are whole and you are complete. It will usher in a new world, a new civilization. It will usher in a new kind of community. You will, there'll be no tears. There'll be no sadness. Are you filled with such a hope? Or... Are you filled with common thoughts? <laughs> so what he says is, prepare your mind for action. Great theologians, we look at that phrase, set your hope fully on the grace. That's, a, that's a, a, an imperative. That's a verb. It's giving you action. Do this. It is the high point of the first part of the sermon. Set your hope fully and the rest of these uh, are, are encouragements. They're, they're how this happens. He says, prepare your minds for action. Oh, I love this. In the commentary by T.R. Schreiner, uh, from one of Justin and I's favorite uh, commentators, Kent Hughes, from his series uh, on First Peter, T.R. Schreiner says this, hope will not become a reality without disciplined thinking. All right? Hope will not become a reality without disciplined thinking. So prepare your minds for actions. It does matter where our mind goes. Our, our mind should be prepared for the actions, the conduct that follows having our grace, our mind set on the grace of God, of his coming for us again. He says, be sober-minded. Have you ever tried to counsel somebody who's drunk before? Have you all done that before? You sat with them? Yeah, and you're talking to him, 
I can't believe this is happening to me. You, you try to talk sense into him. Have you ever tried to do that? Yeah, don't waste your breath, all right? It, it, it isn't anything. You know, they, and they go off on something else, and you're like, oh, my gosh. You're not getting the reasoning behind this, are you, sir? Why? Because they're drunk. They, they no longer have sense of their faculties. They are not sober-minded. Hey, exiles, be sober-minded. Like, think clearly about what's really going on around you. Not be full of common thoughts, but be sober-minded. Don't be dulled and lulled to sleep. Be self-controlled in your thoughts. Peter, Peter here is not just saying we should refrain from drunkenness, but there is a, a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God that is somehow diminished by the attractions of this world. When people are, are lulled, when we are lulled in such kind of drowsiness, we lose sight of Christ's future revelation that he's coming for us. Instead, we concentrate on fulfilling these earthly desires. He says, as obedient Children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I don't know about you, but like, as I considered faith in Christ, there is always this feeling like, in some ways, religion is ignorant, right? You may even feel this pressure from or a supposed pressure from friends on the outside, that if, if you turn towards faith, that you are somehow closing off, you know, to reality, what's really going on. That you are living in some kind of ignorance by trusting in these archaic words from 2,000 years ago. It is because of your weakness that you have to trust in something. Because you have Whatever, your addiction, because your life has fallen apart, you somehow need a crutch in order to make, you are living in ignorance. But the reality is, that is ignorant thinking. And I find that Christians are those who have continued to press the question, what is this world really about? Why do I do the things that I do? What is the meaning of our existence. I find that Christians have continued to press that question and that's why they come to Jesus Christ. This is the only answer. Like, this is the truth. And it's not because we haven't examined our faith, it's because we have examined our faiths. And it's not out of ignorance that we are believing. In fact, all of us came to a point where we were saying, I don't know about that, right? I don't know about that faith. I don't know if I want to do that. I, I, I see some holes in all of that. I see, I don't, I'm not w willing to give up my life for that. We, we all were there. And we all came to the point where we said, but you know what? It's true. The Spirit of God has broken into my life, into my heart, and this is it. It's not because we haven't thought about it. We think about it all the time. So, what was really the truth is that we were, in, we were formally in ignorance. And so he's, not, he's saying, now, don't go back to your former ignorance. 
that pa- those passions that you had. You know, you had a, all of us have our default thinking, right? We have some of our default thinking that is really bad for us. You know, when you start getting low, you start thinking in a certain direction. You start, you start imagining the world from the, maybe as it is not. We think that people are against us. We think people are, are, are trying to take advantage of us. We think that we are not good enough, that we have to do something to win people's uh, uh, honor and respect, that we are not good enough by ourselves. All these things start flooding back to us. Or that I'm better than everyone else. And, and those are our former ignorances. Those are our former passions that were our default. We went back to all the time. That's how we lived our lives. That's why we had to come to Christ, we said, because that is broken. But what we find, brothers and sisters, we go back to those, don't we? They still kind of, they're still creeping in there. And they're saying, hey, 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 don't forget, you're an idiot. Right? They keep saying that to us. They say, you're really not worth anything. You know, just like your dad didn't love you, didn't respect you. You're the same thing. See, it's happening again. See how you were, see how you, 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 you always, you've always been a failure. See, there it goes again. You're no good. That's ignorant thinking. Because the truth is, we are somebody. We have been bought with a price. We are highly valued and greatly favored in our Lord. So that's ignorant. And we, Peter's saying, hey, 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 wake up. (laughs) Don't go back to that ignorance. I don't know about you, but as I had, if I, I discovered God, as I, as he broke in into my life, I found that there's a historical Jesus, a documented figure who lived and died for me, a, a God that has, that I have and you have encountered in prayer and seen firsthand his faithfulness. And because of this evidence, we have hope for today. We've seen how he's been in the past. And now we have a living hope that sees into the future. I believe in a God, and you believe in a God who walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, died and resurrected, and now we believe in a Holy Spirit that works in our lives, making us new people. We've seen him provide. We, are, we have seen that we are different. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And if that God says that we have a future, by gosh, we have a future, Right? If he says we have a future, then we have a future. Are you, are you looking into the crib and seeing the living hope? Is that a daily thing that you need, we need to go back and do? You know, because our flesh would have us go back to that stinking thinking. That those ignorant passions that, that moved us here and there. We are no fools, my friends, to believe in a God we cannot see or has done something great for us. Do not be conformed to this world, to those old passions, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, Christians are not people who close their eyes and stop thinking. We open our eyes and start understanding. We, we look deep into the word of God. That's why, you know, sometimes we use the word theology. And so, I, we're, I'm, you know, I'm a preacher-teacher guy. 
And so we talk about theology, and it sounds like a big highfalutin word, but that just means getting to know God. And so we ought to be great theologians. We're continually getting to knowing him more and more in every situation and circumstance. We look deep into his words so we might understand greatly who our God is. And that serves to transform our minds for a daily renewal. He says that we are to be holy as he is holy. He says, conduct yourselves in holiness, since it is written, you are holy because I am holy. And all this has, as he's writing these things, when he says to, to, uh, to uh, set your mind fully on the grace, to be, uh, prepare your mind for action, that word prepare means to put your, put your, uh, your dress inside your, your pants, your, your, your belt. It's what the, the same words that's used when the children of Israel to, to leave their slavery and their bondage. He said, now get ready, put your, get ready because you got to run. Because if you, if you run like this, you're going to fall. So get ready because something's about to happen. So prepare yourself. And this is, this is the same language that's used as they leave Egypt. And, and then as they leave Egypt, the, we hear again as they come to the mountain. And in Leviticus, we, we hear this, this need for them to be holy for their God is holy. Holy has this meaning of, of, of perfect and beautiful. But, but the real, the crux of it is it means to be set apart, different from everything else. And so our God is different than everything else we know. And he's saying, I want you, you come as my children, as God followers, you are to be set, set apart as well. You, you are to be having this kind of holiness. You should look different from the world. Conduct yourselves like God. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of the exile. Look here in, in verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. With fear. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. As obedient children, be conformed. You make your conduct be conformed to this new way to be holy as he is holy. There's a terrible song that's about to get stuck in your head. All right. Don't worry, be happy, right? <laughs> Don't worry. I love that song. I about you. And every time it got on, you know, you watch the video with Bobby McFerrin. Right? And, and uh, Robin Williams, and they're doing these funny dances and have noses. And, you know, and they just kind of lift your spirit, didn't it? Don't worry, be happy. As we look over these next few verses, 
Although Bobby McFerrin tells us, don't worry, be happy, he doesn't have any reason why you shouldn't be unhappy. There's a sentiment, you have a feeling when you listen to that song, but there's, if you read the verses, there's no reason why you shouldn't be depressed and miserable. <laughs> and it's just this little, the music and the whistling and the dancing, it's all these things that prop you up only to fall down again. But see, Peter is not saying, don't worry, be happy. He's not singing this great song. He's saying, don't worry, be hopeful. Let your conduct follow hopefulness. You see, there's no reasoning in Bobby McFerrin's song. There's no reason why you should be happy. But in the, in the word of God, there, there's a reason that we should be hopeful. There's a reason we should have right conduct that, that follows that kind of holiness that God calls us to. And he gives us three different reasons that we should have our minds focused and our lives righteous. A reason for doing what God commands. First of all, he is our father. And, you, you, and, you, uh, and if you call on him as father, see, if we call upon him as father, we know that he is our God and, he is, and we are his people, that he loves us and we, we follow his example. We are holy like he is holy. Why should you be holy? Because our father, our dad, uh, the one that we are, we are making our lives look like, the one who loves us so much and cares for us, we're gonna, we want to be like our dad. And so we conduct ourselves in a way that is appearing like our Father. Second is because God judges. David Helm puts it this way. Let me, whenever we begin thinking, oh, I can do this and get away with it. God will forgive me. After all, God is my Father and therefore my friend. We are on dangerous ground. Instead, God is impartial. So there will be consequences for, for presumptuous sin, taking his grace for granted. Because he is our father. He is not just a sugar daddy. He cares what his people do. He wants us to look like they're like the father. And just because he's our father doesn't mean that he turns a blind eye when we sin. There's still consequences to those sins. We are covered by the blood of Christ. We are, we are forgiven, but don't think there will not be consequences. That we will, we will have to face those troubles here on earth. Finally, Christ's sacrifice, the preciousness of Jesus' sacrifice will compel us to live lives worthy of our calling. So why, you, why should we live this holy life? God is our Father. God sees what we do. There are consequences to those. And because Christ loved us so much that he were a sacrifice. And, and this sacrifice is good. This, this sacrifice uh, enables and strengthens us in this holiness he compels us to live this life worthy of our calling. I just, I just love, listen to this, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways. That there is a purpose for this ransom, that you will be ransomed from your futile ways, that you inherited from your forefathers, 
He says, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You know, when you hear silver or gold, you don't think perishable, do you? I mean, like tomatoes, it's perishable. Silver and gold, not so perishable, right? I mean, those are things that we think about as imperishable, that last for a long, long time. But what he's saying is, what Christ has done for you makes gold and silver look like tomatoes, right? It looks like they they mold over pretty quickly. See, not the sanctification and the glorification and and the, the thing that was won at Calvary. That atonement for you is something that endures and it doesn't fade away. So, so keep, keep up the conduct. Keep following him. He is good for it. This morning as I was whistling that terrible song, <laughs> Wendy was in the other room and she heard it and she said, oh, great. That's going to be stuck in my head all day. She said, Alexa, Play Come Thou Fount. <laughs> like she just made the sermon. People of God, we need to learn a different tune. We are susceptible to going back to those old passions, stinking, thinking all over again. But regularly, we need to claim the truths that are real, that are thought out, that are mined from the scriptures, the promises of God. We need to set our hope on the grace that is to come and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And our conduct should follow that because we're a different kind of people now. We don't have to live like we used to. We don't have to live like everybody else. We're set apart. Mindless no more. Brothers and sisters, exiles, press in further. Look deep into this living hope on a daily basis. Let your mind be transformed. Let it not fall back into that default kind of thinking. You will not be dis- disappointed. Keep, conduct yourselves in a manner in keeping with the child of God. He sees you. The very last lines of these scriptures, listen to this, he says, who through him... Our believers in God raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that you, your faith and hope are in God. He never fails you. Your hope and faith are, are, clear, are secured with him. He will see you through. He has a place for you. He is returning. He has made you a new creation. Believe in the promises of God. And when you feel like you are about to slide, seek the truth. Review what is true. Press on. Hey, exiles, don't worry. Be hopeful. Amen. Lord, we uh, thank you for your good word that it does its work right, right now as our hearts are different now. Just in this few minutes together, and we are so thankful. Lord, I know we have brothers and sisters here who are in the midst of some dark moments. And Lord, help them to discover the truths again and to remember who you are and who they are in you. That we all might march from this place in good conduct, following the steps of our Savior.
our minds and hearts are blown away by you today. And we just say thank you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.